Hashtag SAFM Sound Awake. We're going to get into our trending topics in just a bit, looking at social media trends from the past last, uh, from the past 24 hours. Let's listen to some voice notes. Firstly, on Nurses' Day. Sound awake. Good morning. My name is Asanda Molos. Uh, greeting you there. This is Asanda Beda at the SAFM studios together with your team and the rest of the people that happen to be listening. It is seldom that I get to catch your slot, but whenever I do, I get to enjoy the music and I get to enjoy uh, some of the slots that you have, including that of the drivers. But today, I'd like to actually just come in and say happy International uh, Nurses Day. And of course, a huge uh, thanks to Florence Nightingale, who pioneered at this very um, prestigious um, and very uh, instrumental uh, profession in our country. It is our hope that not only will we celebrate uh, the work that the, 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 the nurses have done putting their lives in danger, but that so much consideration will go into paying them the amounts of salaries that they need in order for them to have fulfilled lives for putting their lives in danger, in order for them to actually uh, not get into corruption and any other devious means of making a living um, because this job is clearly so important and put, put, put puts their lives at stake. Uh, I'd like to send my shout out to nurses everywhere and say we celebrate you, we see you. It is our hope that you will also transform and be as bold as the pioneer Florence Nightingale standing for your rights and actually just informing those that should have the political will uh, to also take into consideration the consideration uh, the, the the contribution that you have made in our country especially during this time we see you and we appreciate you thank you good morning asanda and safm listeners I think the South African woman who should be on our coins should definitely be Casa Semenya. Ah, I think I love that. she is the perfect role model. What a lady. Uh, and she's been so dignified about the, uh, everything that has happened to her. Oh, I love that one. Casta Semenya on our coins. I actually hadn't thought of that. I don't know. Sometimes I watch the I ask the poll questions and then I don't think of what my response would be. <laughs> That's weird, right? I should also be having a response. I, I agree with you, anonymous. I wish I had your name there. Uh, that Casta Semenya should be on our coins. Joseph Simong on Twitter says Winnie Matigizela Mandela should be on our coins. So our poll question was: Which South African female icons should be on our coins or our banknotes, and what your views are on there? And then Shan. Hello, family. Azri from Brookdale, Phoenix there saying every day will not go past without me listening to you guys. You make us feel all the love and you touch our hearts with beautiful words of wisdom and encouragements embarking on us to move forward, standing step by step uh, until we reach the top. That is how much you brought to us on top while you're still making more differences. We love you and uh, all cause you are the light and make it all bright to our eyes uh, to our site. Thank you so much, Shanti. Your messages are just always so beautiful and heartfelt. We really appreciate you. Uh, so actually, Shanti, who do you think should be on the female, uh, I mean, on the uh, uh, coins or banknotes in terms of our female icons, not just South Africa, but even uh, the continent? I'd love to hear what your views are. Trending news right now.
14 minutes past four. Joining us now is Atlehang Mulefe, our social commentator, to look at what's happened in social media in the last 24 hours. Good morning, good Wednesday, happy Nurses' Day, Atlehang. Everything and everything. <laughs> good morning, Asanda. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. So let's go straight to hashtag Free Palestine. Uh, the protests there in Cape Town demanding President Ramaphosa to stand up for uh, Palestine. So uh, the protesters are demanding that South Africa boycott, divest and impose sanctions on Israel. And this is in the wake of military action against Palestine. We spoke about the situation yesterday. So how does South Africa intervene without offending the Israeli side of supporters in the country or even in the continent? As, as we were saying yesterday, this is an ongoing debacle. And when one tries to pinpoint its origins, it becomes a you know blame game depending on which side you're standing on. Um, so part of the uh, sanctions um, also include uh, part of the protest. I meant to say it also includes asking the president of South Africa to stop doing business with Israel um, because of the human rights atrocities that have been happening, the killing of women and as well as children. And while also trying to sit down and trying to introspect to see whether or not where's our standpoint at South Africa in this issue, um, I looked at whether or not do we have a moral obligation to act, especially if it's something that's outside of South Africa and something that's outside of the continent. And I think it's in two ways. The first part is that we do have a moral obligation to act on the basis that we are holistically against human rights atrocities, especially ones that affect people from minority groups, such as women and children. Those are things that we stand for as a country. And therefore, that means that there's an incentive for us to stop doing business with Israel as a way to boycott what they're doing. The second part about Mm -hmm. it is to simply say that as a country, we have no moral obligation whatsoever on the basis that now we're dealing with maybe like a country that's far away. And even though we're interacting and trading with that particular country, but we can't then force a president of South Africa to have to deal with something that is out of their control. Because the only time where he does have a direct obligation is when it's to his citizens of the country and also when something in the continent is happening, then he also does have a moral obligation to act in that instance. So the two folds of it is just like having it and not having it. But I also think that I'm standing more on the basis of saying that he does have a moral obligation to act because these atrocities are created and it's they're devaluing human rights and by killing women and children. So there is an incentive there for him to act. Absolutely. Atrocities uh, that you mentioned. I mean, as long as there are deaths, um, young children and women are being killed, there's uh, definitely ways that we can, uh, you know, do something and take a stand. So Department of International Relations and Cooperation spokesperson then who received the memo, uh, Lunga Ngangelele, who said that his department will study it and then engage with other departments. So this does need collaboration. Um, yes, it does. And I think it does mean that they're also going to collaborate because I did see that he wants to engage the matter even further and try to understand. Because also it's very important for countries to maintain international relations and international relations with countries can be maintained when they're able to hold each other to account for any atrocities that they do. And international relations and cooperation can also be maintained when countries are willing to work together as a collective to try and find a solution to the problem. However, international relations can also be tainted with when if a state like Israel, for example, isn't willing 
to come to the table and isn't willing to stop what they're doing, um, then it, it means that they can either lose international relations. But we've seen so far that they haven't lost any international relations because people are still willing to like interact with a country like Israel, even though the atrocities are happening. Because at the end of the day, countries really do care about um, having that uh, having that. Um, economic empowerment and the economic empowerment happening even at the cost of allowing Israel to still continue with the atrocities that they have been doing. Mm, we just need resolve to this, yeah. uh, honestly, once and for all. So let's take a break and we continue. We'll talk hashtag 500K, uh, that crowdsourcing uh, movement there that happened uh, in just a bit. Atlehang Mulefe, our social commentator, talking social media trends in the last 24 hours. This is Sound Awake. Trending news right now. 20 minutes past four it is. Good morning if you've just uh, joined us here on SAFM. Atlehang Mulefe, social commentator. We are unpacking social media in the last 24 hours in terms of trending topics. So Atlehang, hashtag 500K, 500,000 rands, a fundraising effort there to bring back the body of South African student Kutatsom Dunana who fell to her death in China. Uh, and they asked, I think the, the target was 350000 that the family had needed, and uh, they've raised about 500000 now. What a sad story of this 24-year-old student who fell uh, from a 13th floor at a friend's place in Hangzhou province. It's a very sad story because even when um, the family of the deceased have been asking about what really happened, um, they haven't gotten the kind of um, comfort or support that they need because even with the Chinese government or the people that saw the incident, they just said that she fell from the 13th floor without necessarily detailing what really, really happened and what the sort of situation there is. And I think that's the unfortunate part about it. So Khutato went to China to um, study a course, I think it's civil engineering, mm. and she has been studying there for a long time. And she was, I think she was about to complete um, her degree in July. She was just about to come back home. And the unfortunate situation is that the only kind of information that they received there was that she fell from 13th floor without any form of, you know, when someone is just telling you that this is the situation, this is what happened. And at the end of the day, this is how she fell because we know that someone cannot just fall from 13th floor just for 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 like for nothing. Um, so I think the unfortunate part was just the lack of sensitivity there, like not being able to inform the family of the deceased of what really happened in that situation. But I think as a nation, um, there was they did collectivize and everyone did um, contribute towards um, the. Uh, repatriation of the body and I also do think that we need to try and find a way to ensure that when such things happen even on the state level that there is some sort of intervention because I think the intervention only happens in certain instances but not in all instances because I think if uh, intervention from a state level had happened then we would have been able to know the family would have been able to know exactly what happened to Hutato and the second part about it is that even when situations like that happen, I think we do need to have some sort of funds as a state to be able to contribute to that as opposed to maybe appealing to like the mercy of the citizens and um, um, asking people for that particular money. And I think as a country, the government still needs to have an obligation in those situations to be able to have funds um, left to be able to assist the family of the deceased in any case. Yeah, sort of our life insurance then for yes. these kinds of situations. So this did happen on Friday morning. Should we not give it maybe a bit more time? 
I mean, the, the, the Asian country is saying that they are still investigating. Um, I think we can give it a bit more time, but I just didn't like uh, the way in which it was tackled. Because, I mean, if it happened on Friday, it's Wednesday today, and it was Tuesday yesterday. So um, by that time, they could have easily gathered some information to at least tell um, the family of the disease, or so to at least um, say something. But now it seems more like receiving a call that um, your child has passed away and we're just you just have to give us you just have need to have money so we can repatriate um, them but not necessarily saying anything more than that so I think that that is really sad for me because imagine you left your home country with aspirations of completing your degree at like an, an international university and then now you die in that mm. space and it's it's just lack of sensitivity for me I think that's just the sad part about it that if you do decide to leave your country to go to another one when and should anything happen to you there isn't any obligation from your own state to assist you but the unfortunate part is that when you did apply for that study visa you also did inform your home country that you were leaving to study in a different country and should anything happen to you it is still the obligation of your state to uh, protect and to assist you in that in, in that situation should we do our own investigation I think we should. Um, from a state level, I think if there was um, some level of um, intervention from our own state, we would have the information by now because we do have um, um, relations with China. So I do think that if um, this, it was an intervention from a state level, then at this point we would know what the way forward is and we would have gathered um, some information regarding what really happened. Right. I mean, a sad story, really. We uh, Our hearts go out to this family who's now dealing with this. It's quite sad. So let's talk hashtag useless UNISA, um, the, the next one now in terms of trending topics. So SRC chairperson Inga Ket expressing disappointment at the university's failure to comply with the court judgment. And this is in relation to delays in accepting students for the 2021 academic year. Okay. So the SRC at UNISA threatens to take um, the institution to court over a delay of enrolling and accepting um, new students. So the sort of justification that they received from the school was that they are tired of over-enrolling students. Like in the past, they've been doing that, and then they wouldn't necessarily have the capacity then to cater for all the students because of over-enrolling. But I do support the SRC in that matter because um, even when they were complaining that even the NSFAS, they're not uh, assisting students in terms of getting um, their stipends, in terms of getting food, and in terms of getting all the incentives that come with being an NSFAS student. And I think that the university saying that they are tired of over-enrolling students also, it's something that I, I, I don't buy into, and I don't buy into institutions capping the amount of students that they want to take because you are now placing other students at a disadvantage and you're now forcing them to look for other institutions, even though they wanted to go to that one and that was their first um, um, option. So I think that we need to create a, ma- a mandate for inst- uh, for institutions to say that they need to be able to have um, a means or ways to cater in instances where they've taken more than what they um, had anticipated that they were going to have and that we need to create measures to still allow for those students to be in the school because then we're denying them access to education in instances where we're saying that we're over-enrolling and therefore we need to cut them because even when you're cutting them, what is the criteria or the metrics that you're going to use to say that you want a specific student or a specific number of students? 
And the second part, I do support it because I think that even when it comes to NSFAS, to allow for students to be able to get that access to education, they need to get access to food. They need to get access to their allowance. Mm. So I do think that the SRC threat need to take them to court. It's a matter of also just trying to protect the students and making sure that everyone is equally allowed to have quality education. Yeah. So it was 20,000 less uh, in terms of first-year students that were accepted this year. And then also earlier this year, UNISA caused an uproar when they announced a a shortened academic year on on top of that. Does this then raise a new debate? Because we were talking about this the other day when it comes to teaching uh, the Bachelor of Education versus other certificates that... It might be now, uh, you know, in this new era that the the traditional way of studying in the three years or four years of a normal uh, degree no longer is necessary. There's online uh, courses that people can do. What we used to see as top-ups now, you know, it's it's almost becoming a replacement because academic years are becoming shorter and shorter. Degrees are taking shorter and shorter to finish. And uh, people are still getting qualified and doing what they need to do in terms of moving forward with their lives and achieving what they need to. Is that the new debate then? Um, I think it is because also UNISA has been using that system even before um, the pandemic. Um, so I think that a lot of times like people do enroll there because they want to take like a short course, sorry, or they want like distance learning because they can be able to study even when they're at home and all the assignments are submitted online and everything is just online. So I, that's why I didn't really quite get to the chat about over-enrolling students um, as if now they have to come to campus and as if now it's just going to be a lot. So I do understand, get that like if degrees are becoming shorter and shorter and the academic year is becoming even shorter, that being um, an, an interesting debate to also find out because we think that in traditional universities, it's, usually, it's still the long academic year um, and also it's still a thing where they want the degrees to still be four years and three years because they believe that they need to train you for that amount of time. So I think my co- the conversation here um, is that if degrees are becoming shorter and shorter, then I think that also creates an incentive or the capacity to be able to get through with your course at that short space of time and so you can give space to other students as well. But I think the main conversation then is that for some degrees, you actually do need to get the training. So four years is the maximum amount of years that you can get through that course and you can't potentially get through the course in a space of like six months, maybe, for example. So I do think that we need to create space for that to happen. We can create space for instances where a person can be able to complete a degree in a six-month six period and a space where a person can be able to complete a degree in a four-year period. So I think we need to to create capacity for both, and I do think that the two can happen at the same time. Finally, hashtag home affairs. Uh, there was chaos there that erupted as police and protesting undertakers were clashing in uh, Pretoria. So the funeral parlors are uh, protesting there in terms of wanting to shut down all home affairs offices across SA until their complaints over the department's regulations are addressed. So this is about regulations in terms of the right to remove bodies from mortuaries and all of that. Uh, certificate of competence. I mean, this is obviously going to be highlighted during a time of COVID. COVID, where there are a lot, much more uh, burials happening. Um, I think um, even when they were protesting and saying that um, the the Home Affairs is taking time to also issue um, death certificates and how that really does affect them and affect their business, 
And I think those regulations are very important because I understand that even though home affairs is overwhelmed by the fact that because there's a pandemic, um, a lot of people are dying. Um, Therefore, they would argue that they don't have the capacity to do everything all at once at the same time. But I think that um, we've been living um, under the pandemic for quite some time now, like for really like over a year. Um, So I do think that they were supposed to create space for those things to happen and they can't necessarily say that they don't have the capacity to do it. And I do think that the regulations that the undertakers are now wanting to be put in place and them protesting for the things that they need to do, they're legitimate concerns if Mm. we we think about it because getting a, a death certificate on time can also just assist the families in being able to prepare for the funeral on time and being able to um, do everything on time. So if there's a delay in home affairs, then it affects the undertakers and it portrays them as incompetent people. And when that happens, then the people are also angry. So the longer that it does take, then it also affects everyone in the chain as well. So I do think that something needs to be done about it. And those um, concerns that are raised are very legitimate concerns because we need to make sure that in a time like this, everything just moves quickly and that yeah. we're able to create a capacity for <clears throat> those things to happen. Because it exacerbates the mourning process for the family. I mean, imagine now having to deal with this. And this has been ongoing, as you said. Uh, we've had COVID for a while. There have been protests in terms of the funeral industry. First, is what it was an issue of space for uh, burials, you know, and then uh, backlogs and bookings for... Uh, cremations and then it was also delay times in the bodies being released by hospitals now it's this certificates so it, it, it does i mean absolutely need to the urgent attention um it really does we need to really do create um a space for it because if home affairs is go- it's, go- it's just going to say that they don't have the capacity to do it then it uh, it automatically means that um um the same problems are always going to occur like we're always going to have similar problems of under people from undertakers protesting against home affairs. So just to mitigate those things from happening, then we ought to act at uh, like act now mm. and just to make sure that we're able to prevent such instances from happening in the future. Atlehang, who should be on our coins? Which female icon would you like to see? Um, I think that um, a lot of women who fought to, for like women's rights. So I would definitely say that we can have Winnie um, as one of them.